right, welcome back, you guys, for another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I have another awesome guest for you guys. Her name is Brandice Lardner. Say hello. Hey, guys. Welcome. So to start off really quickly, if you could tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Sure, sure. So I am a personal trainer and nutrition coach, and I got into the industry by working with a really amazing personal trainer. I had spent years in the yo-yo of dieting and eating disorder, and so I had reached out to a local trainer, and he had shown me just how to get from just the what in the gym to the why, and he really empowered me to make choices about building my workouts and lots of, uh, yeah, lots of lessons about how to do things on my own. And that confidence really translated into a love for working out. And so I decided that I wanted to do the same for others. And so I started out with personal training and soon found that a real draw of mine was toward the nutrition side of things. And so over the last several years, I've been uh, doing nutrition coaching, which I absolutely love. So the two go really hand in hand. But as with anybody else, I find that my mess has become my message. And that's kind of why we're talking today, because all the years of body image ups and downs and emotional eating and being drawn into the food for, you know, everything but sustenance has now led me to help others with the same thing. And so it's really a wonderful full circle and being able to be here today, like makes it all worthwhile. So I'm super excited to chat with you and share a little bit about what I've learned. And of course, I'm not speaking from a place of arriving, but a place of traveling uh, I always like to tell my clients that we're all on the same path, but I'm just a little further ahead. So I can tell you what's around the corner and what potholes to avoid. And when you get stuck in the mud, what might help you get out. <laughs> so that's kind of, kind of where I'm coming from and how I got here. Um, so yeah, so I hope that's a, enough of an overview. Oh no, that was great. I, I love like trainers and people who get into this industry because of their own journey or own like big thing that they overcame because it translates so much better when you have a coaching client because they're like oh you've been through this you know what I'm going through and they have a higher success rate at least I think so in that kind of area because there's a lot of trainers out there that are either ex-athletes or athletes that played a really high level sport and they're like oh I guess I'll I'll become a trainer and help people lose weight (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We really each have our niche based on our past experience. And it's cool because that tends to be the type of person that we attract to them as well. Yeah. So you said you had an eating disorder. What did you have? Oh, check all of the boxes, please. (laughs) All of them. Wow. Okay. Uh, I pretty much uh, ran the gamut of everything. I started out um, sort of on the anorexia side of things. Mm-hmm. I was about 14, kind of dabbling in the modeling industry, and a photographer had told my um, totally healthy body weight self that I needed to lose 15 pounds. And that started with uh, my first crash diet. And it just sort of went from there. One, At least for me, I could only remain uh, sort of underfed for so long. And that went into the bulimia and the overeating restriction cycle. So, yeah, and that was a a good 15 years of my life for sure. 
Uh, how like tall and how much weight were you at, and how much did you need to get down to? Oh gosh, Ugh, it's been a long time, but <laughs> I, was, I I don't remember the exact numbers, but yeah. I know that I was a uh, healthy weight, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a rounder, but even still, uh, the industry wasn't even as focused on being rail thin as it is now. Yeah. So, yeah. I, um, so I don't know the exact details, but I do know that it was totally ridiculous and unnecessary. <laughs> so, so was yeah. it your trainer who kind of helped you overcome all those things or did you also seek out help from other professionals? Yeah, I'd actually had been in inpatient treatment okay. as well as lots of counseling. And, um, so the trainer came towards the tail end of all of this. So I'd worked more on the emotional side of things and was dealing more with now, how do I do this in a healthy way? And how do I now lose weight in a sustainable way that, you know, doesn't set me back from the progress that I had made. So was it your choice to find, you know, a counselor to kind of help you through it? Or did someone tell you that, hey, you're kind of going off the rails here, or you th- I think you should go see somebody? Um, it was definitely my choice. Okay. Something that I didn't want to be stuck in, but I felt felt, felt powerless to, to get out of it. And so, yeah, and it wasn't a magic pill. I remember telling my youth leader when I went to the inpatient treatment, oh, you know, when I get back, let's schedule a time for me to share my testimony with everybody, <laughs> you know, <laughs> thinking that like six weeks away was going to fix everything. Yeah. And, and it didn't. It was just the launching pad to then begin to, yeah, move in the right direction. Man, okay. Yeah, like I know with some clients who, like, for example, emotional eat, most of the time they don't even know that they're actually doing it. So I found it, like, pretty, like, it's amazing that you took yourself into that direction to get help because a lot of people will just stay the way they are and then feel miserable about themselves and they wonder why they're not, you know, seeing the success they want and they feel like crap about themselves and everything like that. Yeah, it's really nice to look through it the lens through the lens of resilience rather than weakness because it could be very easy to do so and to get yeah. hard on yourself. But to realize, like, yeah, it was a really crappy situation, and guess what? I'm still standing, and I didn't give up, even though I still have had times of falling back into old behaviors, and even now, you know, I'll catch thoughts and different things that remind me of that time. And it doesn't mean that I failed. It just means that, yeah, that's something that was really prominent in my life and it's kind of gonna tag along maybe for a long time but it's okay and the fact that I just keep moving forward that's what I focus on yeah what were the some of the things that you had to practice to overcome those eating disorders if there was like maybe like a top three that really helped you to get through that yeah and we're we're gonna see some overflow into some of the things about body image that we may discuss uh but the biggest thing was unconditional love, just embracing that I am okay and I am flawed and I have strengths, but I also have weaknesses and that's okay. Uh, I used to be so hard on myself for everything. I mean, I remember being a child and coloring outside of the lines and just, you know, having a complete meltdown. And so getting to the place where I sort of expected myself to make mistakes. And when it happened, I was okay with it. And I even laughed it off sometimes. And that was really pivotal because I think the 
eating disorder was a bit of an outlet of living in this tight cage. And then this was where I set myself like loose, (laughs) you know, like everything else will be perfect, but you know, you can eat, you know, a box of cereal and finally just shake it free. And so that was a really important for me. Um, yeah, unconditional love and letting things just fall where they may being a little bit easier on myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So going into body image, do you think women fall victim to it more than men or is it almost even in your experience? Um, definitely mostly women, but we're seeing more men being faced with those, those challenges as well, uh, which is unfortunate because there's more resources for women right now than there are men. And I'm sure that that will follow suit, but it's definitely something that we could target most women. And I probably would say, yeah, a large percentage of people are going to be dealing with this on a regular basis. I mean, if you live in this world and you have a television and you have a smartphone and you go through the grocery store checkout line, we're going to be told that, you know, we're not quite measuring up or that things aren't as they should be. And so it's, yeah, I think it goes over both sexes, but it's definitely women have, have a harder time. It seems I don't have as many male clients though. Do you think, uh, the reason why it's primarily women? Cause like, honestly, from like the dawn of time, any pub, a publication newspaper, it's always been about how women look and how they should look and how they should do everything in a certain way. It certainly didn't help. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we're much more easily influenced than we think we are. Meaning, you know, we'd like to think that we're resilient and we can be out in this world and not be uh, impacted by these messages. But yeah, from from the dawn of time, like you said, that is something that, you know, women were even seen as possessions at one point in time. Yeah. And so that's, that's bound to to definitely weigh in on someone for sure. And, you know, you think about the internet as well. I mean, 200 years ago, right. You would go to the local store and you'd come across, you know, maybe a dozen other people and maybe you make a comparison here or there, but you know, you're not measuring yourself against, you know, a billion people in the world where they're, um, not even representing actually what these people look like. So it's, it's definitely a unique time and unique challenges that have come to a head. It seems I find it interesting, like, especially with women, the moment they feel insignificant to another woman, they'll start telling themselves in their head that, oh, maybe I am not that great. Maybe I'm not that beautiful. And then they eventually start believing that just because they've been repeating it inside their head. Yeah. Self-talk is really powerful. And that's, you know, one of the most important things that we can grasp and take hold of because we're not going to change the world we live in. We can certainly filter the influences that come in, but the way that we perceive those is what's really going to make the difference. Because one person can look at uh, a magazine with a model on the front and compare themselves and the other one can look at her and go, oh, look at that poor starved human being. Um, So, yeah, a lot of it's going to be how we how we filter things in our mind. So if you had like a brand new client that signed up with you and, you know, signed up for nutrition coaching and maybe had some sort of body image issue, but they don't really tell you that in the beginning, is there like some key things that you can pick up by just talking to them and kind of dig a little deeper to find that out? 
Yeah. Um, I would hate to say that I assume that everybody has some mm-hmm. sort of body image thing, but usually by the time someone makes it to a coach where they're paying, you know, a decent penny each month for someone to help them, you know, it's, it means that they've arrived to a place where they feel like they can't do it on their own. So often with the clients that I'm dealing with, there's going to be that piece of body image that's there, but oftentimes it will show up. Yeah. As sort of an, uh, an obsession with the scale, or you'll just hear the, the, the talk about comparisons or referring to themselves in really mean ways that we wouldn't talk to a friend. So those are sort of the, the more obvious things, but with a working relationship, you start to see things bubble up, even if it may be something that the client isn't totally aware of. Uh, you know, it's really hard to prioritize health over appearance, especially if we're not faced with a health crisis. Um, so weight tends to be the motivating factor for most people and body image, probably the reason why people come to me for help, but then over time, you know, and working through sort of the underlying challenges, we can start to, to address both pieces, you know, the body image and sort of the, the way that that can affect the way that they eat as well. Yeah. I think a common thing that I see with clients over the years is I try to pick up on if they're weighing themselves every day or even multiple times a day. It's like, okay, there, there's something going on here. And it's like tough because like, especially with women, I, I personally will never ever put them on a scale Cause I don't know if I said it on this show or like spoke to a client about it, but I remember a couple of years back, I was training a woman. She lost, I can't remember. I think it was just like three dress sizes. Like she was a completely different person mm-hmm. and she's like, come on, I want to go on the scale. I want to see what the change was. And I'm like, you know, I rather not because you're probably not going to like what it is. She's like, Oh no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. She steps on and she actually gained three pounds, which she was previously but she was a completely different person. I'm like, you have more muscle mass. You're just, and you're smaller. Like you got to understand that, but it's totally like destroyed what was going on in her head. And then she ended up actually leaving the gym and I've like, haven't even spoken to her since. Oh, and like yeah. ever since then, I'm like, I'm never putting a woman on a scale again. Cause that number can always screw you up big time. Right. Yeah. I've had a handful of clients over the years who are okay with the scale because they see it strictly as data and there's no emotional attachment to it. But yeah, anybody who's been on a diet over the years or was weighed as a child, oh gosh, that's just, yeah, it's torture to weigh yourself, especially because it's such like, you you know, you pointed out, it's really not that accurate. I mean, yeah, it measures your gravitational pull on the earth, not necessarily anything else. And so it varies so much. Yeah. It stinks to, to ruin your day over something that's so inaccurate and changes so, so readily. Yeah. I think that's a tough one and two for parents with kids growing up. If they already implement weighing them at a, such a young age, that's going to stick with them like forever. And then I think it's worse in the States where, you know, the obesity epidemic is huge and kids at like 12 and 13 already have diabetes and they're going to the doctor and getting weighed in every single time. And that's going to, yeah, stick with them forever. Yeah, absolutely. You'd be calling, you know, you've got this authority figure in your life telling you you're good or bad based on what the scale number is saying. And that's, that's speaking a deeper message than are you healthy? That's for sure. Yeah. 
That's why when I uh, train my clients, I'll only do measurements mm-hmm. and I'll put them in centimeters too because if they ever feel like they're not progressing and I can measure them like every month or every three weeks and you can actually show them like you're going in the right direction, you're doing all the right things, it's just, it's just time. It takes time. Yeah. And I Absolutely. think it's really tough to sell clients on hard work and time because we're so used to this kind of world where everything's just instant and it's quick and no one ever talks about, you know, in five years, your whole life could change if you do X, Y, and Z. That's so exciting. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Cause like you go online and there's like 30 day challenges or seven day cleanses. I promise you, you know, like 20 pounds of fat loss and people believe like, Oh, I can just change my life in 30 days, but it takes a little longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sometimes you just have to take it one day at a time because the the big picture can feel like too much. But if we think about it, like what was five years ago, you know, like that doesn't really seem that long ago. And so if we can frame it that way as well, it's like, well, in the next blink of an eye, like I could have established all of these great habits a year from now, you know, when was last Thanksgiving or last Christmas? It was just yesterday. And so yeah, if we can kind of look back, we can see that looking forward, it's not quite as big of a, of an ordeal as we might suspect that it is. Yeah, definitely. So what's your kind of like thought process or kind of step-by-step approach on helping somebody with body image issues to overcoming it completely? Yeah, completely. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, because... Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. You just, you know, I'm not completely there. There are still days where I wake up and I feel less than great, but I'm not spending hours choosing something to wear like I used to, or I'm not crumbled on the floor crying because of, you know, something ridiculous, which was pretty common in my world. Um, but if we're working with someone, you know, the first thing you're going to want to do is like check the messages that are coming in. Cause like I said, we're a lot more impressionable than we may believe. And so we cannot be surrounded by, you know, Instagram and Facebook and magazines and all of these things and expect them to not impact us in some way, shape or form. Like it's just going to happen. And so looking at what's really helpful and what's not helpful and separating yourself from it, like, I don't get magazines in the mail because why bother, right? It's not going to, it's not going to help me and it's not beneficial. There are other things that I could be spending my time with that are going to benefit me. And then on the flip side, replacing those negative influences with more positive ones. And it's doesn't seem maybe all that effective or it may seem really difficult for people, but just um, going through Facebook and unsubscribing to certain things is a really big step in the right direction, especially because so many people check Facebook when you wake up first thing in the morning and, oh my gosh, what an awful way to start the day is, um, just feeling kind of bad about yourself. Yeah. I remember maybe it was a couple months ago where I don't know if you've ever saw it, but there was a mom on Instagram with, I think four children and she took a photo with the four kids and she had like a ripped six pack and she was basically saying no excuses. Everybody can do it if I can do it. Mm-hmm. And then I think after a year or so, she posted a, kind of like an after photo of like her real body. And she was actually apologizing for all the people that 
thought that was like kind of the standard because she kind of understood a little bit better about herself that, you know, that's kind of the extreme and not everybody could actually get to that point, but getting, getting to a point where you actually just love your body for what it is and not have this unrealistic expectation of a six pack all year round. Right. Yeah. And I hadn't seen the follow-up to that. So that's really interesting that she, uh, reframes things like that. So yeah. And, and she brings up a great point as well is just understanding like the prevalence of Photoshopping. And I mean, there's even apps for your phone where yeah. you can switch yourself out and Hey, I've used the one for, for making my skin look a little bit better, you know? Yeah, I raise yeah. my And so like no one posts the worst picture of themselves on Facebook. And you know, so it's just understanding that what we're seeing is not necessarily reality can be really helpful as well looking at, you know, different, uh, videos. I think there's some things on YouTube that show sort of the process of Photoshopping that can be really cool because it opens your eyes and it creates a sense of relief that, yeah, this image of perfectionism doesn't even exist in these so-called perfect people. Yeah. Those Instagram filters are very addicting when you're like just scrolling through, which one makes me look best. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I I remember hearing someone say that we tend to compare ourselves on our worst day to someone on their best day or something to that effect. You know, we don't give ourselves a fighting chance. Like I'll wake up in the morning with like unwashed face and messy makeup and ratty hair and then compare myself to someone who, you know, did cutting for a photo shoot and had a professional makeup artist and hair was in every place. And then they were Photoshopped. I mean, it's just not a fair game at all. (laughs) So yeah. So understanding that is really important as well. So yeah, it's kind of taking someone through the process of unsubscribing and then re-education about those sort of things is, is two, two really big steps there. That's funny how that works. It's like, you're always on your worst day when you see someone on their best day. Cause like, I could like, I already thought of one where I think I was like eating a burger while I was like scrolling through Instagram. And I was like, wow, all <laughs> these guys are so shredded. I'm eating a burger. I feel like crap now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the thing we're just have to decide kind of what we allow to measure our value, right? Like if we think about it, really, it's like, really, who cares what this particular hairdo does or exactly how perfect my skin is. Like, sure, it's valuable in our society and we all want to look great, but when it really comes down to it, like, do I sit here and hope and pray that my daughter someday has you know, a nice thigh gap. No, no. <laughs> I sit here and I, I hope that she's like a woman of character and that she helps other people and that she's humorous and warm and all of these things that we want to find in those people we surround ourselves with. And so deciding whose opinion matters to us is really important. Like, are we going to let our value be determined by a fashion magazine editor that we've never met or someone who specializes in Photoshop, right? Like these people don't know us and they don't know who we are and what we're all about and like our really great personality traits and the things that give us quirks and that make other people laugh. Um, so yeah, it's really great to want to feel good about ourselves and to look great in our clothes, but then also expanding our horizons a little bit and deciding what we really value. 
and, and working on that can make the other stuff seem a little less important as well. Yeah. So I remember reading a great article of, it was like the top 20, um, kind of not fitness professionals, but, um, like bodybuilders and fitness models and what they have to do each and every year to be photo shoot ready. And it kind of just showed their side and not, you know, what people see in magazines. And a lot of them said, it's like all year round, they can't have a drop of alcohol. They can't eat what they want. It's food doesn't become a enjoyable experience. It's, um, just, you know, a way of getting to the next meal. So eat something completely bland with no, you know, salt or no pepper or anything like that. And reading that, you're like, wow, I don't think that's really worth it to like live like that because people want to go enjoy a birthday party, go to a Christmas event and things like that. And having that expectation of yourself to be, you know, cover magazine ready, it's not realistic. Right. Yeah, it's maybe it's not desirable. Like just having the facts can help us make a decision about what we really want and where we want to apply ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fascinating when I I hear about that. I mean, I've done, you know, in the past little short cutting phases, uh, just several days and it's not fun. And it's amazing the changes you can see in a short period of time, but it's not you. (laughs) So you go and you have a glass of water and you gain a pound and you you have a nice meal and you gain another pound. And so it's, it's not actually representative of what we are and yeah, how we are on a daily basis. So yeah. Do you think uh, now how we've progressed has the fitness industry is, are they doing a better job in building women's self-confidence of what they're posting online? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. You know, I think fitness is like any other tool or these social media outlets, you know, it's all going to depend how we use it. And so if we're going to use it to build ourselves up and create a community of other people trying to get stronger and faster and take better care of ourselves, then yeah, it's really great. But if we're going to use it as a measuring stick and something that sort of makes us feel less than or obsessive about the way we look, then it's doing sort of a poor job. So with, as with most things, it's kind of how we utilize it and how we implement it in our lives. So we need to be aware of it and choose how we want to let it influence us for sure. But I mean, fitness is great. I mean, like research has shown that like a single yoga class can change how someone feels about their body and their body image. So we can, we can leverage that and cut out the bad stuff and use the good stuff. That's going to make us feel a lot more confident in our bodies for sure. Yeah. Personally, I feel like our industry is actually failing all the people out there. Cause you look at United States and the obesity epidemics, it keeps increasing. So it's mm-hmm. like, what are we not doing to actually go help them? And you, you can even go through a Facebook feed if you follow a bunch of different trainers, where they kind of fall short, I think. It's like if they write an article about the three diets are the worst for you, it's like, okay, thanks for that information, but what should I be doing to, you know, instead of that? I, I would just want to see more solutions than like, people ranting about scientific crap about certain diets. Right. Yeah, definitely 
we need to worry about the big rocks instead of the little ones. And I think too, like you're mentioning, you know, it's this, it's failing because it's asking us to do too much and it's making it seem like the only way to get results or to get healthier is to do this massive change where you and I both know that someone who just starts walking 15 minutes, three times a week is going to see a change in their health and they're going to feel better about themselves. And it's going to create a foundation for now going on to the next thing or someone who eats an extra serving of vegetables every day. Yeah. Not glamorous. Woo woo. Big deal. But you know what? It's actually pretty awesome because they're taking the time to take care of themselves. They're exploring new things and then they're creating the foundation to then do more. And so, yeah, kind of making things more bite size and making them as important as they are is really, is really, uh, I think where the, that's a money shot right there for people. Definitely. So I was reading one of your blogs actually the other day, uh, I think it was called, and then I had a little girl. Yeah. Uh, so you wrote about how you had to gain 15 pounds in order to have a child. So if you, can you kind of touch on that and where your like kind of mind was and how did you like convince yourself that gaining 15 pounds was okay? Yeah, sure. Um, so you know, I'd work with the trainer, like I explained uh, a little while ago and had gotten into healthy habits and tapered a little bit here, tapered a little bit there, loving the way that I felt in my body kind of continued to lean out and everything was completely sustainable, but I was pretty darn lean. <laughs> so, um, you know, throughout the years of an eating disorder and being lean and then being overweight, et cetera, I didn't really have a regular cycle. So, um, I had sought out the counsel of, uh, my OB when I was interested in becoming pregnant. And the first, <laughs> the first thing she said was, Oh honey, you just gained 20 pounds. You'll be fine. And of course that was not the answer that I wanted to hear. So my husband and I sought out, uh, the advice from a fertility doctor. Um, and I was told, you know, I have a 5% chance of getting pregnant and you know, your option is to, to look into in vitro. And that just wasn't this just wasn't for us. I know it works well for lots of people, but financially it wasn't feasible and it just didn't feel right. And so I thought, well, I mean, gosh, you know, $30,000 I'm considering paying. Let's see if there's something to be said about, you know, adding a little bit of weight. And so I just started counting my calories. I saw where I was at and what I was currently eating and I just bumped it up. And I did that. And I actually, pretty rapidly put on about 10 pounds. And then the other five pounds came thereafter. And it was not easy. It was one of the, the hardest things I've done. But when I finally got on the other side, I began to actually be okay with my body. And I would look back at pictures of myself when I was thinner and think of how sickly I looked. So I was able to sort of step into the, the new zone of healthy and and be comfortable there. But it really took a huge step of faith to get to that point. And, you know, I'm fortunate that, uh, just gaining the weight was enough for me to regain my cycle. And I actually got pregnant just two months later. I know everyone's not quite as fortunate, but it turned out to be quite a success story for us. And it was of course worth every, every ounce of discomfort to be able to have that amazing little girl. But it just, it just came in as like, this is my option and I'm just going to try it. It was a last ditch effort. So, yeah, like I find, cause I, I used to work for a big box gym where, you know, figure competing was a huge, huge thing. 
And I had a handful of clients where they, you know, compete and cut to the point where there was such a low body fat percentage where, yeah, they stopped menstruating because women are not supposed to go past a certain percentage of body fat and then their hormones are out of whack. I remember like training one where just halfway through the session, she started crying because she thought she didn't look good enough. I'm like, okay, seriously. And then when they get off that strict diet, they end up just binging everything in sight. And then just you fall into that vicious cycle of like cutting, eating a lot, cutting, eating a lot. And it's probably not that great for your health. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've worked with several ex figure competitors and that's really common in that industry. It's, it's hard for anyone. I mean, you take someone with a healthy relationship with food and a healthy body image and basically starve them and cause them to focus on their body 24 seven, you're going to have some negative results for sure. You know, it's not a character flaw. It's just like physiology and yeah, the sort of focus I think we weren't necessarily meant for. Yeah, definitely. So the next question is, there's a lot of women out there that will criticize every little bit of their body to the point that their ankles are too fat. Whereas right. there's some that don't even care how they look. They're fine the way they are. Where do you think that kind of starts from? Is that from childhood, how their parents brought them up and how they interacted with other people? How, where, what do you think about that? Yeah, definitely the messages we receive in those formative years are going to be really important and they're going to stick with us. I mean, I have vivid memories of my best friend's mom measuring her waist and my waist. And she was just a little thin gal and I was a little rounder, definitely not overweight, but I remember my friend pushing her stomach out as hard as she could and me sucking in mine as much as I could so that we could get the same measurement. Right. And that just like stuck with me. That was the first time I was aware of my body and that it may not be exactly what was to be expected. And so, yeah, the things that happen when we're kids, you know, they're, they're going to hang on. Um, so that's a big thing. And then also the social circles that we place ourselves in. I mean, if we were to take someone who had no body image issues, you know, and threw them with a group of women who sat around all day and, you know, talked about how fat they were and what they ate and you know, judging other women about their size, then eventually that's going to start to overflow into their mind. And the same thing could happen with the opposite, right? We take someone who is completely unhappy with her body, but we stick her in a group of women who are strong and fast and like trying to get better. And they're encouraging one another and lifting each other up and a really great sisterhood of uh, support. And that person is going to start to feel a little bit better about themselves. It's certainly not the magic answer, but I think we can sort of look back from, yeah, where did I come from? And sort of what have I been surrounded with and what am I surrounded with now? And that's going to I think it's going to tell us a lot, but you know, and there's, there's going to be some deep seated issues. There's going to be some people who are going to need to seek out professional help. And that's going to be the key for them because it's the body image thing is sort of a masquerading other issues that could be, could be underneath that as well. I find like, I really hope this next generation of parents that bring up their kids like especially with their daughters that they just throw them into like every single sport with other girls and having that kind of confidence that you know if you're exercising you can compete at a high level and you can feel good about yourself or I think in past generations exercise and sports were not that 
big of a priority. And in some cultures and some places in the world, they didn't even allow girls to actually go into that. Right. Yeah. Just definitely to begin to appreciate all of the awesome things your body can do for sure. Versus just how it looks kicking and throwing and yeah, even getting into the intricacies of our body functions can be really helpful. In fact, there was a research study done with a specific program. I think it was horizons, something along those lines where they actually had the participants spend 15 minutes each day uh, doing a detailed journaling session just on certain aspects of what was great about their body. You know, maybe it would be physical movement one day, maybe it would be physical sensations another day, maybe it would be creativity, but actually just writing to exhaustion, like 15 minutes is a long time to write, it is, yeah. but about all of these things then begins to widen our appreciation and it gives us some thoughts and some things to actually call upon when the negativity comes up. And so, yeah, by getting like kids involved in sports, we're, we're getting them started out on the right foot of being able to have pride in things besides what they look like. And that's, that's really cool. Do you follow the women from girls gone strong by any chance? Some of them, I have some, yeah. I think they're doing such a great job of getting into that niche of women who want to get strong and want to look better and want to feel better about themselves. And I remember reading one article, it might have been from Molly, where it was like a challenge of every day when you go look at yourself in the mirror and limit yourself from how many times you say, oh, this is too big, this is too saggy, and say one thing that you actually love about your body and just repeat that every single day, that one thing. And just to kind of change your mindset, is that something that you would recommend to other people as well? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and it sounds super cheesy, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> just just talk to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, and just, yeah, like that's really going to make a difference. I mean, I can't even believe that. But it's it, our thoughts. You know, the things we speak can become our thoughts and that becomes programming. And I have that with a lot with clients. I'm like, just borrow the way I, way I speak for a little while, right? Like let's hang out long enough where you can start to kind of talk like I do. And that's sort of that, the essence of that. Yeah. If I say this enough and I hear it enough, then I can start to believe it. And, you know, I'll say that there may be some times where you can't completely get on board with it, but maybe you can like poke some holes in the negative self-talk. Like, am I really the fattest person in the whole wide world? Come on. (laughs) You know, is there even the slightest chance that I'm not a disgusting slob? Like these are the things I used to say to myself. Right. And you know what? Yeah. There might be just the slightest chance that that's not true. You know what? If you've got to start there, start there, but just start questioning the validity of these things. Like, is it even true? Like, am I thinking these things just because I've thought them over and over again? Like, or are they things I actually believe? Maybe it's just like a broke, you know, record that gets stuck and it's looping and looping and looping. But when I take the moment to like examine it, gosh, that's actually pretty ridiculous. Or maybe even say it out loud to a friend. And then when we hear ourselves say things, we can, we can kind of hear them in a different light. And that may help us to start just maybe not believing things a hundred percent of the way. It's funny what like talking to yourself can actually do for yourself. Cause <laughs> yeah, you, you try to sell somebody on just talk to yourself and say these things over and over again. 
and they like look at you like you're crazy, but you can find so many different examples where that's actually worked. And I actually remember watching an old interview with Jim Carrey when he was maybe like late twenties. And he was telling the person who was interviewing him that when he was starting out as an actor, he wrote himself a check for, I think it was like a million, no, $4 million. And he always kept it in his wallet. And every single day he would always look at it and tell himself that one day he's going to get that $4 million. And then when he, um, got paid for Dumb and Dumber, he got an actual check for $4 million. And he was just saying that that constant reminder of what your goal is and what you want to achieve, if you keep telling yourself that like psychologically, everything else you do in your life will kind of gear towards that. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah, it really is powerful. And it sounds like he believed it, which is really what takes it to the next level. Like anybody can like write a check, but to be all in with it, I'm sure that propelled a lot of his actions as well, which is really cool. Yeah. Like I have also, the other one was, um, I was reading an interview with Kobe Bryant and he was saying that in professional sports, the mental game is so huge because the moment you feel inferior to the person next to you, you're going to start playing like crap. He said the reason why he was so successful in his career is because he made himself believe he was the best in the world and nobody could touch him. And he said that any time that you could, you could see it in other sports with, you know, the athlete just says, Oh, I don't think I'm going to be, good at this game they're probably going to pay, play like crap so it can translate to anything in life yeah absolutely that's why they have like psychologists on staff at professional sports teams because that way we frame things is so powerful for sure yeah now with, um, i was gonna say with uh male trainers and just like males in general if you had to give them advice on how to approach women or how to deal with women with body image issues, if like, say for me, if I'm training women, what kind of advice would you give me to help them kind of overcome whatever their issues are without getting too invasive? Because one, I'm not a woman and I wouldn't be able to like relate because most men don't really have those kind of issues. What would your advice be for men in general? Oh, that is a tough question, right? Yeah. You don't cross the line <laughs> with people for sure. But I think it's, helping them sort of recognize the lies, maybe just helping them question it. Like, is that really true? Is that really helpful? Right? Like sometimes i just accept my body because it's my best option, right? Like being mean to myself got me nowhere, right? Except miserable. So if I can just radically accept where I'm at, then that's going to be really important. That's going to make a big difference. If, even if I do it just because I know that it's going to change my quality of life. And so helping your client, yeah, sort of see the patterns, uh, maybe, uh, echoing back some of the things they say, asking them if that's really true uh, and giving them alternatives could be really helpful. Um, especially, yeah, if you're someone who feels confident yourself, male, female, however, you know, that still translates across the genders where you can model that to them as well. Like, Hey, you know, I may not be exactly where I want to be, but X, Y, Z, and they can start to adopt some of that, that way of thinking as well. Yeah. Like what I try to do, like what I notice sometimes when I train women is that they almost don't believe they can do a certain exercise or do a certain weight. 
And I always tell them, like, you're a lot stronger than you think you are. Go Ooh. try it. You'll surprise yourself and you'll end up, like, believing that, oh, I actually can do it. And over the years of training women, the moment they feel that kind of first moment where, holy crap, I can do a full chin-up or, holy crap, I just deadlifted 100 pounds, they almost get addicted to that success. And mm. from there, they're, they just skyrocket with confidence. I love that. Yeah, because you're not even addressing body image per se. You're just going above and beyond it. You're just shooting past it, which is really neat. Yeah, because when you get to a point where if a woman can do, you know, say five chin-ups and squat pretty heavy and deadlift pretty heavy, like their body has completely changed from what they were before. Because you got to be pretty strong and lean to be able to do all those things. Mm-hmm. And they end up like feeling really good about themselves. And I even like, I remember training one woman and she's been with me probably five years. And I remember her telling me that when she was at a playground with her kids and husband, the husband challenged her to a chin up contest. She got six and he barely got one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Which is yeah. great. Yeah. That'll keep you fired up to go to the gym. That's for sure. So last question for you, um, what would be kind of like the beginning steps for someone listening on helping to accept themselves and feel better about their body? Yeah. So I think one, going back to the social media piece, Mm -hmm. sort of filtering out some of the crud that doesn't help you and being aware of your self-talk is really important. You don't have to like stop it immediately, but just start paying attention. Like, gosh, I wonder how I really speak to myself and notice, don't judge it. Now don't judge yourself bad for saying bad things to yourself. Just pay attention, be an observer and start to question those things. Ask them if they're really helpful. Are they helping you get to your goals? You know, if your goal is to get leaner, does calling yourself fat motivate you to go to the gym and to make healthier choices? Probably not. Would you feel a lot better about yourself and be more likely to do the things that are going to lead you to your goals if you cheered yourself on? Uh, So just making small steps in that direction and not expecting yourself to be perfectly, do that perfectly, or even to get to the place where you're ever perfectly, um, you know, confident and think you're all that per se. Uh, But just expect changes with the small the small, yeah, reframing, et cetera, that we can do. And I think that's really where it's at. Like we said, you know, before about the dieting aspect of things, like it doesn't need to be big to be effective. It just needs to be consistent and constant. And then that's where you're, you're going to see the change for sure. Perfect. Now everybody has homework. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, and if I, I'm not the best speaker, I'm a much better writer. So if there's anything that's kind of confusing or anyone could use some more help or clarification, just send me a message or make a comment in the podcast link. And I'll be more than happy to talk with you about your specific situation. Perfect. And now the last final question is where can people find you online? If you have any projects coming up, speaking engagements or anything like that, let the audience know. Sure, sure. I'm just blogging at brandislardner.com. It's B-R-A-N-D-I-C-E-L-A-R-D-N-E-R.com. And you can find me on Facebook. Um, Yeah. And just feel free to shoot me a message. I really just do this because I love people and I want to help. So don't hesitate to reach out. 
Perfect. So I just want to thank you for all your time and all that information was amazing. And hopefully at least one person could get something out of it. And uh, that was awesome. That's what it's all about. Yes. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. So that will wrap up episode 23 with Brandis Larner. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that one because she was an amazing interview. Now a little announcement for the future of the podcast. So I'm super excited about this. I'm going to be starting a Patreon page for the podcast. Now, for those who don't know what a Patreon page is, it's a way to support podcasters and other content creators' um, work. Now, many don't know that having a podcast does take quite a bit of money to continue to produce. Now, my goal is to you know, create better content each and every week, and each and every year, and that means eventually, you know, buying better equipment, so then, you know, my microphone, for example, will have better quality sound, so when you listen to me ramble, it's crystal clear, and there's no fuzz in the background, or any kind of background noise, or anything like that, and also the cost of hosting a podcast, cost of hosting a website, all those things factor in for creating a successful podcast, so with a Patreon supporter, you can donate a dollar a month or five dollars this month and whatever next month and so forth. And with all the donations, I can put towards making the podcast even better. Now, another benefit of being a Patreon supporter is that you can get some content um, quicker than a person that's not. For every episode that I record, I usually record the interviews three to four weeks in advance. So being a Patreon supporter, I will have the option of giving you access to the interviews before everybody else, which is a nice incentive to, you know, send me a dollar. <laughs> um, and then going to a long-term kind of vision is eventually I hope to have a lot of Patreon supporters. And when I reach a certain number, I want to start giving back to local charities in my area now, that would be the ultimate goal, and it can only be made possible by you guys who are listening. And yeah, that's my little spiel, and I'll give you guys more information when the page is all set up and ready to go. Thanks. So, lots of new stuff coming up, and... Um We'll see you guys next time.
We'll see you guys next time.